Mark chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. And um, as you turn in there, let me talk to you. I think you can turn and listen. Um, there's different ways to study the Bible. Um, if it's from a sincere heart, I don't believe there's a wrong way to do it. Um, one of my favorite ways to study the Bible is to do what's called a word study. So you take a word like righteousness and you look at it throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, what the prophets had to say about it, what Jesus had to say about it, what the apostles had to say about it. Um, another way is to study chapters or books of the Bible, themes of the Bible, different things. But what, one of the, and, and maybe this is just me, but I don't think it is, but sometimes I get caught up on studying sections and verses um, so much that I miss what the Lord is, is saying maybe over the course of, of a few chapters at a time. And that's what I really want to try to point out to you tonight, something the Lord, I think, is revealing to us and want us to see tonight um, from what begins in Mark 6 but continues through uh, into the earthly ministry of Jesus into, into Mark chapter 8. Where the Lord really first began to show me this was Years ago, I started listening to the book of Ephesians just in my, um, you know, ear, ear pods, whatever, uh, working out in the yard, cutting grass, what have you. I just listened to the six chapters of Ephesians over and over and over again. And by getting that six-chapter view of it, I began to see things about the book of Ephesians. The Lord began to open things up to me that, that I'd never seen before. And so um, it's, it's a similar thing with this, and you'll see tonight as we, as we uh, dig into this. So Mark chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying... So there's, there's a shock and awe here. There's, there's a, an amazement. Um, these people are, are, um, are really just like, we've never seen anything like this, never heard anything like this. That was kind of the approach. And from that position of being astonished, they asked the question and made a statement. The question was, where did this man get these things? Where did this man get these things? Of course, they're referring to Jesus. And then, and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? But if you'll notice, that last sentence doesn't end in a question mark. It ends in an exclamation point. In other words, they're not questioning it. They're, they're making an exclamation. They're like saying, wow, you know, what wisdom. Man, what wisdom. Uh, my, 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 what wisdom. That, that's the, the tone of this. It's not a question. It's, it's, a, it's a declaration. It's, it's, a, it's an exclamation, right? It's really important that, that you see that. The next thing, again, just to quickly review from what we looked at this morning, was I think many times when we hear about a miracle, we tend to think, wow, what power. We, we tend to think, you know, man, what God is able to do. Only God. God's able to do, right? But what we see in Scripture is that every miracle Jesus performed was not just a demonstration of the power of God, but it was also a demonstration of the wisdom of God. Now, in the course of our study on the subject of wisdom, we've said that wisdom is about results. It differs from knowledge and understanding in that the wisdom of God is always about making something better, making some change, producing some result 
that you haven't previously been able um, to produce, been able to, to get, if you will. So notice these people watching Jesus um, perform mighty works with his hands, okay? And that would involve everything from casting out demons to multiplying food to re rebuking destructive weather. Um, they didn't just associate it with the power of God, but with wisdom. I don't know that, maybe that doesn't do for you what it's been doing for me. I hope that it is. I hope the Lord is, is really impressing that upon your heart as well. Um, let, me, let me just simplify it for, for our, our Sunday evening crowd. Are you ready? Wisdom's where the results are, y'all. Amen. Wisdom's where the, the results are. And these people knew that. Matter of fact, they even said, what wisdom is this that has been given to him? Because they, they knew the wisdom that he had producing the results they were witnessing didn't come from him. It came from his heavenly father. And this is the same wisdom that was given to Jesus that's ready and available for you and me. The Bible just says we only need to ask in faith, all right? So you've got the ability of God, which could be thought of as his power, but then you've got the know-how of God, which would be his wisdom. It's, it's not magic, and I'm not, I don't mean any disrespect when I say that, but I think sometimes, you know, it's just... We think of a miracle as magic and, and whatever, and it's like, wow, God does something that's amazing. There's wisdom behind it. Just like there's wisdom involved in, in natural science and, and physical medicine, um, there's, there's biology behind it, there's science behind it, there's research behind it, there's cause and effect behind it, there's methodology behind it. Well, the same is true with God. It's not just like hocus pocus. You know, again, there's, there's science behind planting a seed in the ground and that seed producing more corn, more wheat. Um, and although we don't know how to study it, so to speak, uh, in, in a book, there's wisdom behind taking a little boy's lunch and making more food from it. You understand what I'm saying? There was, it wasn't just that Jesus, you know, like did his hand over it and poof, you know. It, it, there, was, there was something, there was a, a, an element of spiritual wisdom involved that made that possible, okay? Now, this is what Father, again, is wanting to share with you and me. He has made his power available to us, and he has made his wisdom available to us. His ability becomes our ability. His wisdom becomes our wisdom, so that we now have the ability and the know-how to do the works that Jesus did. That was the plan from the beginning. It's the plan tonight. It'll be the plan a thousand years from now. It'll be the plan 10,000 years from now. Amen. Now, we can learn it sooner or later, but we're going to learn it. Amen. We can learn it on this side or we can learn it on the, side, on, the, on the other side. But we're going to learn this. This is Father. Listen, if I know anything about my Heavenly Father, I know this. If He ever makes His mind up to do something, He doesn't care how long it takes or how much it costs. He's going to see it through. Amen. I don't, I'm, I'm speaking as a man when I say this. He will not rest until you're doing the works that Jesus did. It's just, that's, that's his plan for you. He's glorified in that. He's glorified in that. Why else would he make his power and his wisdom available to us? Just so we could be big shots? No. So that we could do the works that glorify his name. All right? Now, if we, if we move through this, and I'm not going to uh, reread it, but just, again... Later in 
Mark, the sixth chapter. We read the first two verses, but um, later we see, beginning at verse 30, where Jesus takes um, five fish, I'm sorry, five loaves of bread and two fish, and by the wisdom and power of God, fed 5,000 men plus women and children, and then they took up 12 baskets of leftovers after that large crowd had eaten all that they wanted. Now, am I the only one, am I the only one that's fairly certain that that 12 baskets full of fragments was after those folks had eaten all they wanted and then put everything they could put in their pockets and purses and, and you know, for some reason I think of my grandmother on my mother's side. Um, who remembers Quincy's in Bessemer? Anybody, I'm dating myself here. Quincy's in Bessemer Steakhouse. I was coming back through there today, and I think it's a drugstore or a pharmacy or something out there on the left, that old building, and they've converted. And, and, um, but Quincy's in Bessemer, they had this thing. It was about this big around, and it had a little spout on it, and you could, when you paid your bill, you could kind of turn it over and get you a couple of breath mints. You know what I'm saying? My Mimi had set her purse up there, and you know what I'm saying? So, you know, um, listen, I mean this, it, it, I love it when I see it happen, but, um, you know, Heritage, you, you guys and gals know something about the go box here at Heritage, right? I mean, we have a big, we have a big feed here, and, and uh, you know, man, I've, I've seen folks fix the go box before they fix the one they're going to eat here, because they want to make sure they got something to go. The point I'm trying to make is, these folks, 5,000 men plus women and children, they ate everything they could eat, and then everything they could carry home with them, and there was still 12 baskets of food left over. Am I, again, I don't think I'm the only one who doesn't think it coincidental that there was 12 baskets of fragments and 12 disciples. And if you look at it carefully, when Jesus blessed that bread, he divided it 12 ways, gave a piece of bread and a piece of fish to each one of the disciples, and then they went and began to feed the multitude. So the miracle was taking place in their hand. Every time they would break that piece of fish in half and hand somebody some, there would still be fish in their hands. And if you start doing the math, um, just you know, what it would take for, in other words, how many individual people did each disciple serve? Are you following what I'm saying? You got 12 men feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. The bread's coming out of their hand as they hand it out, right? So that means it was a miracle after a miracle after a miracle after a miracle after a miracle taking place in their hands. All right, you got it? Now, let's go to Mark, the eighth chapter. Because in Mark, the eighth chapter, because again, this is what happens if you just... If you just study miracles and events and these kinds of things, you might miss that Jesus didn't just do this once, but he did it twice. I believe by the Holy Spirit he did it far more than twice. It's just that we have it recorded twice. Um, but again, in Mark the 8th chapter, this time, we see that um, he's going to feed um, 4,000 uh, individuals. I don't, I don't want to go into the whole reason why they counted the men, not the women and children, but 
Again, this, this crowd would have been more like 20,000 people total, but they only um, counted uh, the men, all right? Now, let's, I'm just going to read through this real quick. We've got time to do it. Mark chapter 8, verse number 1. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. Now, one of the things that we're going to kind of start zeroing in on here as, as we finish this up tonight is, should they have been asking that question? Now, I could understand them asking the first time there was a large crowd of people. Jesus said, I want, them, I want to feed them. Um, you feed them. And they're like, how in the world can we do this, Jesus? How is it even possible? We don't have enough money right now, but even if we did, you know, we, we can't just go and... and uh, I know at camp, on Monday night at camp, we always uh, order pizza because it's not that you were concerned about all the logistics, but to try to buy all the food and keep it all cold and transport it. So that first night we get down there, everybody gets settled in, me and Pam make a run to Sam's Club, buy the food for the week, all right? And um, so that first night we order pizza. I went down to Pizza Hut to get some pizza and a guy didn't have a whole lot of personality, bless his heart. But you know, he kept telling me, he said, you should have called me yesterday. And I'm like, wow, man, I apologize. I said, you know, it's never been a problem all the years we've done this, but um, I'll try to remember next time to, to call you yesterday. But can you, can you fix us the pizzas? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll see what I can do, but you should have called me yesterday. I'm like, well, I mean, I, I know that I didn't call you yesterday, but I mean, he kept saying it over and over again, you know. And, uh, but notice, there was, you know, we need like 14 pizzas, and we're like, you know, stretching his dough, I guess, you know, um, what he had ready to, to, ready to go. So the, what's, what's the point? Why am I telling that story? You know, all of a sudden, you've got 20,000 folks to feed. Can you imagine, like, if we had 20,000 people right now that we needed to go get food for? You, you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, even we had the money, Jesus, I'm going to just go through the drive-thru and order 20,000 Happy Meals. I mean, this isn't happening. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, this isn't happening, right? So you could understand, though, them asking that the first time. But the first time, Jesus showed them how to do it. Okay, but now here we are in a very similar situation again, and they're acting like the first one never happened. They're acting like this is the first time they've ever seen this, first time they've ever been asked this, first time they've ever heard anything like this, and they're basically saying the same thing again. How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? I mean, not just bread. We, go, we want some protein to go with this. We want some fish, right? So he says, how many loaves do you have? See, if I could get ahead of myself, what, what I want you to see tonight, what I, let me thank you, Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit wants us all to see tonight is that Jesus had a different mindset than the disciples. The disciples' mindset was one that always looked at the lack. They always looked at what they didn't have. They always looked 
at the need and what it was going to take to meet the need from a natural perspective. Jesus had a completely different mindset. He, he wasn't concerned about how many people were there and how much food it was going to take to feed them. All he wanted to know is what do we have? Not what do we not have, but what do we have? Do, the, again, it's a, it's a completely different way. Some people say glass half full, glass half empty, what have you. It's more than that. Jesus had a completely different perspective on this because he knew that if he had something, right, in the hands of God, it would always be enough. But the disciples' mindset was, if we've only got seven loaves, there's no way that can be enough. Right? Now, what's the difference? Man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. Because in man's wisdom, there's no way with seven loaves of bread you can produce the result of everybody having enough to be full. Right? But with God's wisdom, seven loaves of bread is more than enough to feed everybody present and then some. It's the difference between the wisdom. Okay? So let me keep going here. Verse uh, 6. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said to set them before them. So they ate and were filled and took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. All right? Now, we're in chapter 8, verse 8, just to orient you. Um, from here, he's going to have an encounter with the Pharisees. And, um, well, actually, in verse 9 where it says he sent them away, then Jesus is going to get in the boat. He's going to go over to Dalmanutha. He's going to have an encounter with the Pharisees. And then he is going to leave that encounter with the Pharisees. And he's going to get back in a boat again now with his disciples. It was a quick turnaround on the boat trips. Okay. So let's pick it up now in verse 13. Mark chapter 8, verse 13. And he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Excuse me. Let me get that on the screen for you. All right. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So look at me for a moment. I'm not going to go back through all this, but we commented on it this morning. One of the things that Mark emphasizes even more so than the other gospel writers, uh, uh, Matthew, Luke, and John, was the constant pressures being applied to Jesus and the disciples by the multitudes of people. And Jesus was constantly trying to get into a deserted place where he could spend some time training and teaching them. But every time they would get somewhere, get quiet, get still, Jesus would start talking, people would start showing up. And so now they're in a boat out on the open water and Jesus is trying to take advantage of that moment when he's just got them and their attention to teach them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And what he's talking about here, the leaven, he's talking about doctrine. He's talking about their teaching and the errors in the teachings of the Pharisees 
and the errors in the teachings of Herod and how his teaching, his gospel differs from what they teach and what they say is right, okay? And so leaven is something that we see in Scripture that um, it's, it's an agent that's put into a mixture. The principle is, anybody know it? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Jesus also used leaven to explain the kingdom. He said the kingdom is like a little bit of leaven hidden in a large sack of flour that eventually that little bit of leaven is going to infiltrate and affect, influence the whole sack of flour. His kingdom brought to the earth will eventually uh, take over the earth. Amen. That's the principle that he's using. So leaven was something that Jesus used all the time, the point I'm trying to make in his teachings. But notice now, the minute he begins to talk about leaven, verse 16, and they reason among themselves, it is because we have no bread. Now, I know that, you know, you've never probably been distracted when somebody's teaching, okay? <laughs> Let me just go ahead and confess, all right? I have certainly been distracted uh, when somebody is, I'm in a class, somebody's teaching. That's one of the things, you know, paying attention, being focused. But now keep this in mind, Put, get, get this image, all right? Jesus is up there trying to tell them some very important things. How many of you think anything Jesus was saying would be important? So he's, he's telling them something that's very, very important. And, and they're all, you know, murmuring, whispering among themselves. He figured it out. We didn't bring enough lunch. You know, again, how could you be talking about those things amongst yourselves, right, and be catching half of what Jesus was trying to say? All right. So they reasoned among themselves that because we have no bread, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Now, look at me again. I'm trying to work my way through this, get to a landing point tonight. Hear those same types of questions are coming up yet again. We see these throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus. People who have eyes, they may even physically have 20-20 vision, but they're blind. They can't see spiritual things. They have ears. There's nothing wrong with their physical hearing, but they're deaf to the wisdom and the voice of God. People who have a sharp mind, but they do not have the ability to perceive or understand the wisdom of God. And so here Jesus is revisiting this idea of seeing but not, not eyes to see but not seeing, ears to hear but not hearing, a heart to understand but not understanding. But now we also have another thing that he brought in here. And do you not remember? Do you not remember? Remember what? Verse 19. Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? At this point, I'm sure they're looking here like at one another. And they said to him, 12. We took up 12 baskets, sir. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? 
And they said, Seven. So he said to them, verse 21, How is it you do not understand? How is it possible that you haven't got this already? How, how is it that you're still concerning yourself with where we're going to get enough food to eat? Remember the first sermon he ever preached, he said your life is more than your next meal and your next change of clothes, that your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things before you ever ask Him. How many of our needs has Father promised to supply according to His riches and glory? All of our needs according to His riches and glory. Jesus is like, guys, we should have moved on from this by now. You, sh you should have figured this out by now. Now, I am, I am thankful for every syllable that God's ever spoken to us. But I'm telling you, I am so thankful for this conversation right here. Amen. I'm thankful for it even though it stings. Amen. You know, I, I didn't say stinks, it stings with a G. In other words, he's saying something here to us. He's, he's confirming what we should have already understood all along the way. And that is, Jesus is not just demonstrating what his faith will do, he's demonstrating what your faith will do, what my faith will do. Clearly based upon this right here. Jesus intended for the question of food to be forever settled in the hearts of his disciples. Not just where their hunger and their need for food was concerned, but where large crowds of people's hunger and their need for food was concerned. He's saying, guys, do you not understand? Do you not remember? Why are you... Notice he said, why do you reason because you have no? Notice that they're back to that... Two different mindsets. They had a mindset that every time they did the calculations in their head, they came up with lack. Every time they looked at the need and, and the situation and what they had compared to what they needed, they, they, they did the math in their minds and they always came up with being on the short end of the stick, so to speak. Jesus did not think that way. Right? He's like, with, with not much more food than this, guys, we, we fed thousands of people. There's another miracle here that he could have, if he really wanted to bear down on them, he could have reminded them about the time they had fished all night and caught nothing. Guys, we're in a boat, right? I mean, he could have called fish to jump in the boat with money in their mouths. He did that too, remember? But yet, their mindset was one that constantly had them coming up short, constantly having them on the, on the, you know, in the bread line, so to speak, not having enough of what they needed. All right. Now, let me try. Thank you, Jesus. Let me just go over some of this in my notes right quick, make sure I get this covered thoroughly. So despite witnessing and participating in both events, the, the disciples still did not perceive, understand, see, hear, or remember, according to Jesus, the miraculous feedings. Now, these things are important because we see there was a blindness, a deafness, and a dullness of heart that they were still experiencing in spite of having not only witnessed, but participated in these miracles, okay? Now, 
not that it would let you and me off the hook, but we might try to make the argument to let them off the hook if they had known to make it. Somebody could have raised their hand and said something like this. Yeah, but Jesus, we're not born again yet. Yeah, but Jesus, we don't have the mind of Christ yet. Yeah, but Jesus, you know, we're not filled with the Spirit yet. All right? In other words, they could have made those arguments. Did Jesus know they were not born again yet? Did Jesus know that they were not filled with the Spirit yet? Did Jesus know that they had not yet been given the mind of Christ? He knew all of that. That would have, that would have not surprised Him. He would have not said, oh guys, I'm sorry to mean to be so hard on you, I, I, I didn't realize. No. no, he knew that, but it didn't stop him from expecting them to be able to reproduce these same results themselves by now. So how much more tonight, how much more, having been born again, having been given the mind of Christ, having been filled with the Spirit, does He expect you and me to do the works that He did and even greater works, John 14, 12, because He's gone to His Father? Now listen, I'm, hang, hang with me. You, you say, Pastor Mark, you just, you just took a really big jump. I mean, we were kind of right here and now you just jumped way up here. Well, again, there's a lot of jumps that we need to take along the way, but I'm trying to get you to see the bigger picture here, if nothing else, before we end tonight. Now, one last thing. Because we're still in Mark, the 8th chapter. There's more I want to say there, but I want to, I want to get this connection made. Go, go down with me, Mark 8. This time, let's skip to verse 31. Verse 31. Let me, um, let me say this, then we'll read verse 31 and we'll finish, all right? 31, 32, and 33, and we'll finish that portion of verses there. Did these men see, hear, and understand feeding 5,000 plus women and children with uh, five loaves and two fish? Do they understand, see, hear, understand seven loaves and a few small fish, 4,000 plus women and children? Now, if you, if you were to say yes, you would be right. And if you were to say no, you would be right. Because they did understand it on one level. We can even throw remember in there. Did they remember it or had they forgotten it? I mean, they remembered it. Jesus proved that they remembered it when he asked them about it. They remembered the details. They remembered the numbers. They even remembered how many baskets of fragments they picked up. Not only did they have clear memory of how many baskets of fragments they picked up, they had memory and, and, and understanding of the size of the baskets that they picked up, right? So... On one level, you could say, yes, they did see, they did hear, they did understand, they did remember. But clearly, they were not seeing, 
hearing, understanding, and remembering on the level that Jesus needed for them to see, hear, understand, and remember. Are you seeing the difference? That's why, you know, if you, if you say, did they, did they remember it? Did they see it? Did they hear it? Did they understand it? You could say yes and you'd be right because they did on one level, but you could also say no and you'd be right because they did not have that depth of understanding that they needed. Now, this is where I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to encourage you and challenge you, me, encourage you and me, amen. We don't, we, in other words, we have some of that same blindness. We have some of that same deafness. We have some of that same dullness. We even have some of that same memory loss when it comes to our own situations. I'm not talking about feeding thousands of people. I'm just talking about the Lord bringing us through tough things. Anybody in the room, Father's brought you through some tough things in your life? Amen. So are you freaking out if you're going through something tough right now? You see, and we shouldn't freak out if we're going through something tough right now. He's brought us through so many tough things. Surely a bunch of them. Thank you, Brother Wally. So as Jesse Duplantis says, it's just trouble. You'll come out of it. Right? Amen. We, we've been through trouble before. It came out the other side of it stronger and more blessed and, and wiser. Right? Amen. So we're not, Amen. But notice, you know, we, we get ourselves in, an, in another situation and we're thinking, man, where's God? You know, he's right there with you just like he was the last 12 times. Amen. It's time to trust him, right? So there's, there's, there's levels to this. There's levels to this understanding. All right, last verse here, and we'll pray. Mark 8, verse 31. I want you to see this, even if I don't have time to explain it all. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. Look at me real quick. I know we jumped right in the middle of the swimming pool here on this part. They, Jesus just asked them, who do men say that I am? They said, Elijah, one of the prophets. Peter says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you, but my Father in heaven. Okay? Now, once Jesus' true identity is revealed, he begins to teach them his destiny. And this is what he says to them. So, verse 32. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples. Jesus rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, Peter put his foot in his mouth, Got too big for his britches. Y'all use that expression around your house, right? Got full of himself, feeling his oats. Amen. And he decided he was going to correct the Lord. <laughs> Didn't work out for Peter, and it's not going to work out for me or you either. He doesn't need correcting. He's always right. Okay. But he decided he was going to correct the Lord. But what he didn't realize, of course, Jesus becoming a man, dwelling among us as a man, 
emptying himself of everything that made him God, one of the greatest temptations that Jesus was going to deal with was going to that cross. And he refused to entertain any thought in his mind other than seeing it all the way through to the bitter end. Peter didn't understand all that. That's why he should have kept his mouth shut because now he's like, over my dead body, Jesus, they're not going to take you to that cross. He's trying to plant in Jesus' mind an alternative to seeing the mission through. And Jesus set an example for us on what we need to do when the devil tries to put some wrong thought in our minds. We don't need to entertain that thought, but we need to cast it down. Now, this last phrase, here's what I want you to see. Because starting all the way back in chapter 6, what wisdom is this that's been given to him to do these amazing works? Man, this is amazing. Astonished, right? It was wisdom that fed the 5,000 plus women and children. It was wisdom that fed the 4,000 plus women and children. It was, the, it was the wisdom of God, again, that he has come to share. He's come to impart it. He's come to give it to us. Why could they not make those connections? Why were they still blinded and deafened and forgetful and dull of heart when it came to these things? I believe the answer is right here. Because we could say the same thing about the other disciples that Jesus pointed out clearly with Peter, and that was his mindset. He says, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. That word mindful means to think, have a mindset, be minded. Right? This is one of my favorite definitions of this word mindful. It says, inclined to be aware. Inclined to be aware. Can I finish tonight? Inclined to be aware. I know I'm out of time. Inclined to be aware. In other words, he's, if you're inclined, it, it's talking about, you know, the direction that you lean. It, 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 it's, it's the one that you go to. So he says, you're inclined to be aware of the things of men instead of inclined to be aware of the things of God. This is why when they had the seven loaves, they're still saying it's not enough. This is why in the boat, and they only got less than a loaf of bread for 13 grown men, they're saying it's not enough. In other words, they were inclined to be aware of the things of men. They, they, were, they, were, they were slanted in that direction, which meant that became the filter through which they looked at everything in their lives. No matter what they had experienced with Jesus, no matter what they had witnessed from Jesus, they were still more mindful of the things of men, inclined to be aware of the things of men, instead of, the, instead of being inclined to be aware of the things of God. Jesus was not inclined to be aware of the things of men. He was inclined to be aware of the things of God. This is why he never saw an impossible situation. He was inclined to be aware of the things of God. So instead of looking at every situation through the eyes of men, he looked at the situation through the eyes of heaven. It was a mindset. And it's the mindset that we need. Amen? Stand with me tonight. It's the mindset that we 
need. Praise God. He was saying, he said, Peter, you think according to the things of men, and you do not think according to the things of God. Fathers, we stand before you tonight. Our simple prayer is this as we conclude this service. Help us think according to the things of God. Help us think according to your power. Help us, Father, think according to your wisdom. Help us, Father, look at things the way you look at them. Father, help us reason according to the way you reason. Help us remember according to the way you see things, according to the way you've done things, Lord. The way you've done things for us, Father, in the past. Lord, thank you tonight that there's an answer to this dilemma, Lord, that we all deal with. It wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just the disciples. Lord, we're guilty of the same things. We're guilty of the same forgetfulness. We're guilty of the same blindness. We're guilty of the same deafness. We're guilty of the same dullness of heart. We're guilty, Father, of the same mindfulness, the same inclinations, the same mindsets, Father. But you're setting us free from these. And Father, we're recognizing it. We're understanding it better and better. And you're showing us the solutions to these things, Father. And I thank you, Lord, in advance tonight from this pulpit for the many, many breakthroughs, Lord, that are just, Lord, right on the verge. I'm talking about, Lord, if we could see the wall, we would see it bulging, Lord. This thing's about to burst, Lord. It's about to break like it's never broken before. And Father, I prophesy and declare tonight, Lord, breakthroughs of unprecedented experience, Lord, coming to my brothers and sisters in their lives in the coming days, Lord. Things that we will experience in our families, things that we will experience in our personal lives, things that we will experience in our finances, Father, before the calendar turns 2020, Father. Because the wisdom of God is breaking through. And Lord, our mindsets are shifting away from an inclination of the things of men. Lord, we're now becoming inclined to the things of heaven. And I thank you, Father, for the results that are being produced in our lives. We call it so. We believe that we receive it. We declare, Father, this year being a year of abundant harvest in our lives, in our families, and in our family of faith. Physically, spiritually, and financially, Father. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.